future. back to our four-part podcast series, Think Sustainable. I'm Rochelle Lake, Head of B2B Marketing at SB Australasia. In episode one, we discussed the impact of climate change in organisations. And in episode two, we talked about ways businesses can reduce their waste. And if you missed both these episodes, they're definitely available to listen to. So to today's topic. Today, I'm joined by Alexander Woolrat, who's the head of the Australian office at SEDEX and Jacqueline Overmars, who's our Sustainability and Responsible Sourcing Analyst at SV Australasia. In this week's episodes, we'll be discussing the impact ethical sourcing has on our organisations um, and strategies companies can implement to make implement to make sure they achieve their targets in this, in this area. So let's um, uh, kick it off by introducing our two panellists today. So Alexander, would you like to start by telling us a bit about your current role what experience you have working on, what experience you've had working on sustainability throughout your career, and what experience you've had um, in adopting ethical sourcing or helping organisations adopt ethical sourcing at work. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Rochelle, and good morning. Uh, so, yes, I'm Alex. I'm the Head of Office for SEDEX in Australia, New Zealand, the Pacific Islands, and Japan. I've been in the role about four years, and SEDEX is one of the world's largest ethical sourcing data exchanges. So effectively tools to help people and organizations scale uh, the risk assessment and remediation process. So in terms of my own experience in sustainability, uh, I didn't actually have any until I stepped into this role. My background's actually in startups, dealing in financial services, reg tech, fintech, and helping same organizations raise capital. Uh, so the focus was very much on helping to manage complex change management pieces and introducing processes and policies to help achieve specific objectives. So in some respects, the work I did in the past around AML or anti-money laundering uh, does marry up in terms of approaches to ethical sourcing, uh, modern slavery. So in terms of actually helping organizations, I'm in the very lucky position that we have hundreds of uh, members in, uh, in Australia, Japan, New Zealand, and I get to work with them various stages of the, the journey, understanding the ones that are just starting through to ones with very, very established and sophisticated programs, understanding what that spectrum looks like over a period of time, seeing it change uh, and trying to help where I can. What an interesting background. Uh, great to have you here with us today, Alex. And okay. so Jack, the same for you, if you can tell us about your role and all of your experience that I know you've had on sustainability um, and what experience you've had in working on, on ethical sourcing at work. Thanks, Michelle. Um, good to be here. So my name is Jacqueline Overmars. I'm the Responsible Sourcing Analyst for SCV Australasia. This means that I look after the ethical supply chain for all our businesses in Australia, New Zealand and Fiji and make sure that the items that we source, either raw materials or finished goods, is as sustainable as possible before it comes into our supply chain. So my background um, is a little varied, like Alex's. <laughs> I started with a degree in environmental science from RMIT and then um, had a 20 year career working across the world in lots of different fields before deciding that actually I do really want to work back in sustainability. 
and started uh, moving, uh, moved into working in sustainable agriculture for a global uh, brewing company. So that was looking at, looking at making all our barley sourcing across the world as sustainable as possible. Um, in my role uh, uh, there, I was not so much focused on the ethical sourcing and, and, and I suppose like Alex, it became more part of my role when I moved into my current role. Excellent, excellent. And I think, you know, the really interesting thing about these podcasts that we've been doing is sort of having, I guess, somebody like Alex who works with a variety of different companies on the topic at hand, which is ethical sourcing, and then having someone from our own SED team who, I guess, works very deeply in the specific field in practical, practical organisational applications. So I think that's been making for interesting conversation. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about ethical sourcing. And I'll start first with you, Alex. Why do you believe ethical sourcing is a common target um, for organisations? So ethical sourcing, I think, as a concept, dovetails with a number of other key areas that people are interested in. So obviously, you have things like CSR, corporate social responsibility, you have ESG, you have human rights due diligence, and in certain jurisdictions, human rights due diligence legislation or modern slavery specific legislation. Uh, and fundamentally, ethical sourcing is looking at the same core concepts. We're looking at, certainly in the case of what we do, business ethics, labor standards, obviously, which ties into things like modern slavery, occupational health and safety, again, environmental concerns and risks. So uh, whether you're looking at you and uh, sustainable development goals, for instance, they all basically interlink. And so responsible sourcing is part of that piece. And in many respects, it's it's being looked at not only by investors, certainly from a, a sustainable, responsible investment perspective, but also you've got that compliant legislative compliance piece uh, and then broader community expectations. So lots of organisations use responsible sourcing they may do it slightly differently. And again, I see that a lot with uh, our members and other organisations. So it's not the same for everyone uh, because obviously there's different weightings, but you're looking at the same fundamental concepts. Mm. And so Jack, why, why do you think that um, ethical sourcing is a, a focus area for us at SD? SD has a policy of wanting to provide sustainable products and solutions to our customers and consumers. And ethical sourcing is an important fundamental base for that uh, policy. Um, and, you know, Alex, you sort of mentioned that, um, you know, some of the drive towards this for organisations has come from sort of regulatory or investors. I guess it's sort of pressure being put onto organisations to do it, um, which is not a bad thing. Um, but I think one of the things I'm really proud of is that at SED, we've been working on this for a really long time, certainly well ahead of the legislation that's um, come, come into play here in, in Australia. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely sort of part of our DNA, as you said, Jack, that this is just fundamentally how we want to run our, run our business. So, Alex, what common goals um, do you see that organisations have in place in regard to ethical sourcing? Going back to your point around SED, it also depends on the longevity of the program and what are those core drivers, if you like. So organisations that have had responsible sourcing programs that predate legislation are often doing it as part of a broader set of goals and objectives, which Jacqueline has alluded to earlier. Other organisations that are perhaps newer to this might be doing so principally from a compliance perspective. Obviously, that's not exclusive, 
but for them, their goals are going to be set around trying to understand issues like modern slavery or forced labor. So again, it goes back to what is the organization looking to achieve from a policy perspective? And in, in the case of ethical sourcing, obviously it, it's looking at a broad set of interactions and uh, sourcing activities. So actually who's manufacturing the goods, how are they being treated? What are the environmental implications associated with it? The location of the, the factory and the conditions of those, those workplaces uh, and broader stakeholder rights protections. So again, it's, I guess it can also be brought down to do no harm. And is that, does that sort of come to specific goals or is this just more a process and a way of working? So this is an area where I find organisations can sometimes struggle uh, because the standard, they may not necessarily align to a specific standard or have that in mind, or they may not have specifically clear and quantifiable goals or objectives. So you can say, well, we want to source ethically. Absolutely. And that's fantastic. But what does that actually mean for your organization? And how are you defining success? What goes into the measurement of that? And are those criteria or those goals quantifiable? Are they measurable? And that can sometimes be where organizations struggle, particularly when they're going from a policy, which might be very abstract, to practical application, and then it's a question of what tools do we use to, uh, to assist in that process. So I guess the clearer the goal, that's usually a good sign. And can you think of any particular goals that you would think is, is a, a kind of best practice? Okay, so in terms of, for instance, trying to understand uh, forced labour risk, it's understanding how a supplier is engaging or their workforce and potentially their suppliers. But again, that can be tier one. And so the goal itself is not going to be static. It's going to change. So those goals can be understanding the risk associated with labor standards in your supply chain, which means having that conversation, which means understanding the risk criteria and factors. So a goal can be knowing more about your supply chain having a relationship that is supportive of disclosures and the kind of collaborative relationship where any kind of issues can be addressed in a positive way. Yeah, nice. Thank you. That's a good illustration. And Jack, what about the goals that uh, we have at Essity in relation to ethical sourcing? So we have a global supplier standard um, in place. Um, it's actually something, it's a, a document that's been in existence since 2018. Um, and we've actually just launched a new one um, with much more detail on environmental and sustainable requirements. So we require all of our suppliers to sign this before becoming a supplier to Essity. Um, and to build on that, so we, we have a clear target around that. Um, and then to build on that for our designated supplier groups, so for uh, for example, um, if they operate in an area that is generally considered to have a higher risk, we will ask them to complete details on SEDEX. And that's where the platform is very useful for us to give a comprehensive view of their practices um, and also incorporates um, information from other sources. So we really get an, an over-round view on where suppliers stand on the four key pillars that SEDEX has. 
Okay, great. And um, so I guess, you know, we've been talking about goals and what organisations may be striving to achieve. Next, I just want to move to talking about, well, what's, what's the steps that organisations need to take um, in relation to goals around ethical sourcing? Um, so, again, first to you, Alex, what, what, what do you see as some of the common steps or key steps that organisations should take to get on, on top of this area? Okay, so going back to your earlier question around goals, so the first thing I would recommend is setting a standard. So that could be linked to, so for instance, the Ethical Trade Initiatives Base Code or ILO Conventions, which, again, going back to goals, no forced labour, no child labour, for instance, it's a clear goal. Mm. Identifying and remediating child labour. So how do you go about doing it? You've got the policy, and then it's, what does the process look like? And again, the key element to that is who's going to be driving it? What's the the organization's position? Who is articulating that to suppliers? What kind of timeframes are you setting around that? So there's got to be an engagement piece. So that, that stakeholder engagement and communication piece is fundamental. And then how are you going to understand the risk? So do you have a risk matrix that helps to, to weigh up the various possibilities and areas of concern? So if child labor is found, what is the risk of that in a particular supplier or group of suppliers? If that's found, what steps are you going to take to manage that and to address that in a positive manner? So having that set of policies and then procedures and understanding what to do when things are found is fundamental. Now, in terms of that risk assessment piece, you have that communication piece, but then what information are you collecting and how are you going to use that and benchmark or quantify that? So obviously CEDEX is a tool that people use for that. Uh, there are a variety of other ones out there as well. You can do it yourself, but it's understanding what the level of risk is because you've set that risk matrix up. Now it's determining where specific organizations sit within that or understanding and quantifying those risks. And then building on the back of that, with further engagement and then simply repeating that process. So for quite a lot of organizations, it can be getting a high level overview of their supply chain and their supply base, breaking that into uh, specific risk categories or groups. So low, medium, high risk, for instance, and then going, all right, we're going to focus on the high risk suppliers. And to do that, we're going to ask a series of questions or we're going to collect some information from a variety of different mechanisms. And then we're going to review that and determine using our processes and our policies what the next steps are. And then ultimately as an iterative exercise, you might expand that to less risky suppliers, hmm. but also reviewing those higher risk suppliers in a different way or on a regular basis. So as part of ongoing monitoring. So that's a very high level approach that, um, and then again, just communicating that internally and ensuring that whatever policies and procedures are flexible enough that they can be updated because it's not going to be set in stone. And as Jacqueline alluded to, your policies have changed and are being updated to take into account changing circumstances and expectations. So to the relationship with your your suppliers and your customers. Mm. Anything to add from, from your side, Jack, on this topic? Oh, I think Alex's, <laughs> sorry, I think Alex's response was pretty comprehensive. I think one of the, the things that's really key when you're setting 
these targets or goals is the collaboration with suppliers. And, you know, when we have new suppliers coming on board, we have a, a introduction to sustainable sourcing document that we can share. So it clearly lays out what our requirements are. So they're very clear upfront. Um, this, this is what we expect. Um, and it's then if there are any problems, you know, it, it's well, if there are any challenges, I should say it's, you know, it, it's not for a lack of sharing information or being very clear um, from our position from the start. And I also wanted to point out sometimes we we do have, you know, where a supplier hasn't used various or reported, uh, used various systems or reported in this way before. And, and that's fine. You know, that that's not a problem for us. All, all we want is the supplier to come along on the journey with us and be open to collaborating and sharing information and moving forward. Um, so, for example, with the SEDEX platform, you know, sometimes we have suppliers join it and think, oh, that's it, we're, we're a member, we've paid our membership annual fee and that's it. And actually it's not because you, you do need to fill out a self-assessment questionnaire, which then feeds into the reporting and risk management um, information. And then based on that and based on perhaps some other sources that we use, because we use a variety of different tools for our risk assessment processes, um, we might ask a supplier to have an audit. So it's it's fundamental that a supplier not just engages and collaborates, but continues to do so throughout the process. Um, and also, as Alex mentioned, you know, regulations change, laws change, um, not just on because we are a multinational. It's you know we laws change, things something that might change in Europe might have an effect on us as well. So it, it all feeds into different things. And there's such intense um, links between the programs. So for example, the uh, Forest Stewardship Council, the FSC program, um, last year or the year before now, um, introduced a section on core labor standards. Um, and a direct um, link to that is in SEDEX, because if you have SEDEX and you um, use it and supply information through that, that will help you complete the FSC core labour requirements. So there's direct links there as well. Mm. Really sounds like, a, you know, there's a lot to, to get your mind around. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think if, if you weren't a, as an expert in this area, it would seem a bit overwhelming, I think, <laughs> to really navigate this kind of space. So I, I think there is a lot of information out there. But I think the, the tools are improving all the time. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep on talking about SEDEX, obviously, <laughs> because Alex is here. But, you know, SEDEX has done an amazing amount of work in the last couple of years, you know, streamlining their platform, improving things. And also they are, you know, about to launch um, new uh, self-assessment questionnaires where they've really changed the style to make it easier for smaller businesses to provide information. Because, you know, um, I can't remember exactly the number of questions that they used to have to ask. But now, you know, if there's 10 suppliers or less, the maximum questions they'll have to answer, I think, is 52, Alex? Or oh, It's nowhere near as many as it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's thing, things are getting better and more user-friendly all the time. Um, and if, for example, a business has a number of different sites, there is an option to have a kind of, the, the central office answer questions as a kind of umbrella over the individual sites. Mm -hmm. So then there's less questions that need to be answered on the site level. So yes, it is, I suppose, a lot of information and a lot of, uh, oh, this is might be a bit scary and things like that. But when you actually start to look into it and to drill down, um, there is there is 
quite a lot of helpful information available and it's getting um, simpler to use, but also to, to share your information. I think that's really encouraging. <laughs> as somebody, for people who, as somebody who, who, who doesn't have or did not come out of a sustainability environment, mm -hmm. uh, I was able to self-teach myself these the, these mm. concepts and if I can do it anyone can uh, it's just it's just a question of uh, a lot of it is just a process mm. and good to know understanding good to know. The, the, the core concepts and again uh, platforms change processes change because we learn more about how to approach these issues and how to obtain information in a, a more effective and easier way so mm. everyone is learning there are no it, i would say that uh yes there are no experts because everyone's still learning <laughs> that's nice that's nice okay so i mean given this is all about sourcing um this you know investigating this is something you can't do without your suppliers um because it's all about looking through and throughout and down into your supply chain so what role do suppliers play in helping companies meet their ethical sourcing requirements so I might start first with you this time, Jack. <laughs> Finally, my moment has come. <laughs> um, our consumers and customers are very have very clear expectations that they expect that the products and solutions that they source from us will be as sustainable as possible. And our suppliers are fundamental to delivering on the sustainable expectation. We ask our suppliers uh, for details regarding um, their their practices, um, and not just for you know our you know uh, reporting requirements, which are many because obviously we have um, government reporting requirements, we have environmental database re reporting requirements, and we, increasingly we also have customer reporting requirements where customers are directly asking us about the manufacturing location of a particular product. Um, and without our suppliers collaborating with us and sharing the information uh, through SEDEX and, and, you know, and sometimes um, ad hoc emails, um, we wouldn't be able to deliver on these requirements. So suppliers are really fundamental to that. Yeah. And um, what do you think, uh, Alex? What, what do you think the role that suppliers need to play in helping companies achieve this? So it's fundamental. In the end, you cannot know about your supply chain if you can't engage your suppliers. They are very much the gatekeepers and you need a collaborative relationship with them in order to achieve those particular objectives. Uh, one thing I do see though is people don't necessarily communicate as effectively with their suppliers as they could do. And sometimes that can be as simple as they don't have current contact information or they don't even they don't know who's the best person to speak to in that organization because organizations uh, can be quite like SED they can be large and global in nature and ownership of information and the ability to respond to these kind of queries can vary sometimes it's looked after by procurement or quality or there's a mm -hmm. sustainability team do you know who is able to engage on this do you know who has access to the information? Who's authorized to disclose and then respond? Uh, because if you don't, if you don't have somebody you can have a conversation with, then you can't collaborate. You can't attain the data and you can't make progress. So I think 
more organizations invest in that and to take his point around uh, clearly communicating expectations to suppliers and giving them an opportunity to come back with any kind of questions and queries because they may have concerns around data privacy, for instance, uh, yeah. how that information is going to be used, uh, potential for uh, misuse of that information for commercial purposes. There's lots of potential reasons why somebody may not want to engage in the process, uh, but may be willing to with some more information. So again, more time you spend engaging suppliers and working collaboratively with them, the easier the overarching process is. That's the difference between it taking three days to get the information or three months. <laughs> and I, I think that's a really good point, Alex. And I think, you know, being collaborative to extent of being sometimes flexible. Like I know we had a lot of challenges over the last two years in some countries um, because of COVID where for example, if we wanted audits to be done, sometimes auditors were simply not allowed to travel to different areas and things like that. And, you know, we had a requirement for an audit, but, you know, <laughs> it's COVID. You can't, you can't walk around that. So um, being flexible on our side is also important. And also I wanted to add sometimes with, I think part of collaboration is celebrating success. So in some cases, you know, we've, we've had suppliers where um, they've had an audit and perhaps it has um, created a few more non-performances than they perhaps anticipated. Um, but, you know, they've been very open to, to working through these um, and, you know, having the audited back to check them out if they can't be closed on a desktop. And then, and, you know, and celebrating every every six months or every three months or depending on what the timeline is, you know, if they've got more closed and they're working towards the other one, but they're waiting for a fire inspection that can't be for six months, you know, you can still celebrate these little milestones because they're still open to collaborating and they're still working towards it. And that's encouraging. And that's the kind of supplier that you want in your supply chain that will, okay, we've identified these things, but we can fix them. And that's great. Yeah, really well said, Jack. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's about improvement as well. I mean, we can have great suppliers who are doing everything well, but if we are encouraging people in the supply chain to improve their practices through asking for this information, um, you know, I think we're improving things for for society. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good thing to realise that a non-conformance is not, not the end of the earth. Um, and, and we, you know, we don't, we, because sometimes, you know, I hear stories of supply, of customers walking away from suppliers because they've got a non-conformance. We would prefer to see a supplier fix that non-conformance and to make it better. Um, it's not to say we wouldn't consider up other options if it's been a year later and, and nothing has changed, but we would prefer to, to make that change. And I think one of the really good things about the CEDEX platform is because it's so comprehensive that they can do this once and share their data with multiple customers. They're not having to go through multiple audit processes and things like that. They have one audit and then they can share it with 20 customers, for example. And, and that is a real time saver as well. Yeah, great. Okay, so um, I'll ask you first, Alex. So if you had to find a new supplier um, or a company had to find a new supplier in a certain category and ethical sourcing was important to them, what should they be looking for in a supplier that would give them confidence around ethical sourcing? So the first thing I do is ask, what are, what are you doing in this space? What do you know about this? And then have that conversation. If they go, 
yep, we've got all this squared away. Here's all this documentation. Uh, we, you know, we can take you through any of it. We've got audits. Here are the reports. This is how we've closed out the non-compliances. Obviously, that tells a particular story. If somebody goes, look, we're new to this. We struggle, but we're open to, to doing more on it. We just need some help. Again, it's showing transparency and a willingness to be transparent and engage. That's the key thing. Because you're going to find that everyone is in a different stage. It's people who or suppliers who are not willing to engage at all. You're going to potentially have issues. So I wouldn't look at it in terms of do you have a particular brand of audit report, for instance, or do you have, uh, you know, even something like do you have SEDEX membership? Start the start the conversation. At a higher level, and go. What are you doing on this? And are you open to engaging this? Because there's really no point discussing audit or particular technical approaches if you can't have that conversation. Yeah, and because uh, Jack, this is what you do. You you assess organisations for us. Anything to add on um, what you know? Key things that you'd be looking for. Yeah, I, I think Alex has covered it. Um, I already spoke earlier about our introduction to sustainable sourcing things. So, so new suppliers are aware of what our requirements are. Um, I, I think we some of the challenges that I see and, and other um, organisations might experience this where if your policy updates um, and then some suppliers are perhaps not compliant and you have to work additionally hard to to try and bring them along on the journey with you. And that sometimes can be a challenge. But um, as Alex said, if they're open and collaborative and you know, it's, it starts with a conversation. Uh, I'm lucky in my role because I, I also work on our forestry due diligence. Um, so I have a number of contacts already in our supplier base um, and there is that collaboration in place, but I, I think it can be difficult, but yeah, the, the conversation has to start somewhere. And if, if a supplier, uh, hasn't done it before, as long as they're open to it, you know, it's a start. I'm taking two key words out of this conversation, collaboration and, and openness. <laughs> so, that's um, it. <laughs> simple as that, that's good. Um, that's 90% of it. Yeah, 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 that's, that's really helpful to know. So in each of these episodes, we've also been talking about greenwashing um, and things to avoid when it comes to different sustainability topics. So Alex, what are some of the potential greenwashing traps in this area with ethical sourcing? And you know, maybe you can even touch on how SEDEX can help overcome that. So I'd say the big challenge is mistaking policy for process and improvement. Lots of organisations may have a an organization may have a policy, but the question is not, what are you doing? It's how are you doing it? And how are you substantiating that? And this is something that we're, I'm seeing in terms of conversations with investor groups and others. People are now, for instance, interrogating modern slavery statements to, mm -hmm. to look beyond uh, simple statements of objectives and goals to how those goals are, are measured and what steps are being taken. So how do you avoid greenwashing? Have something that's quantifiable, quantifiable, and that you can then report on. Right. Would be, I think, the key thing. 
Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Jack, uh, any sort of greenwashing things that you've come across in ethical sourcing? I, 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 I agree with Alex. I actually sometimes, see, unfortunately, see a real disconnect between a, what a company says it's on, on their website and their willingness to close out, for example, non-conformances or to even complete information. Um, and, and for me, that, that is a form of greenwashing because it's all very nice to have lovely investor statements and, and, and you know, lovely pictures of, I don't know, trees on your website or whatever. <laughs> but unless Stock you're- photos deluxe. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're actually doing that, um, it, it doesn't mean a whole lot if, yeah. Great. Um, okay. And so sometimes, and sorry, just to cut in, yeah. sometimes that can also be talking about what you tried that didn't work and mm. for a lot of organizations that can be very very difficult because admissions of things didn't go well uh isn't always well received mm. that exercise can be very very helpful as well so yeah. there's no shame in saying we tried this and it didn't work mm. yeah yeah and i think it's also um oh there's the buzzword again it's a form of collaboration because they're as, as much as some companies don't want to share what are perceived as failures, fa failures, failures, oh, what a word. I don't even want to say it, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it allows other companies to, to learn from that yes. and potentially avoid those, those same um, traps. So it, it is, you know, it, it is, it would be very helpful to, to see more of that. But it, it's not something I think that's so much in our well, the general corporate landscape at the moment. All right, so let's get a bit more specific. Um, Jack, mm -hmm. I wonder if you can share an example of, a, you know, say it's a talk hygiene product and the steps that SD takes to make sure that they are ethically sourced. And, you know, maybe, um, you know, talking about hygiene products, also what are some of the higher risk areas that, that we see with hygiene products? Sure. Um, would you like me to focus on one that we make ourselves from raw materials or one that Ooh. we bring in as a finished good? Whatever you choose. <laughs> okay. Um, so say for your products that we might make ourselves, um, we we make sure that the, the pulp supplier has signed a um, global supplier standard. We have a global fibre policy that specifies that FSC is our preferred forestry certification. Um, so they, they um, and obviously we have the CEDEX piece um, and once all of that happens and it goes through, you know, our, our, our production facility in, uh, in New Zealand, in Kara, it may come to Australia and then we have another um, legislative requirement um, around the Illegal Logging Prohibition Act. Um, so we need to make sure that the product is compliant with that. So we need to do additional due diligence there. Um, obviously, because it then comes from our own factory, we actually do the due diligence before it goes into New Zealand, um, but it also helps cover off that requirement in Australia. So th that's for something that we make ourselves. If it is a, uh, a talk finished good, um, we um, that is potentially made as a finished good kind of anywhere in the world, uh, we, we have the same thing. So we ask um, the supplier to sign the global supplier standard, we ask them to join SEDEX. Uh, we run a number of risk assessments um, based on the information they complete in the self-assessment questionnaire. And then perhaps we might ask for an audit before we start um, the auditing process. Um, obviously, sorry, the sourcing process. 
obviously in this uh, kind of uh, geopolitical landscape, sometimes some areas might require more due diligence than others. Um, and that's something that we also need to build in. So we have our um, kind of standard processes and procedures, um, but sometimes additional due diligence is required. So there is quite a lot of background work and that goes into even sourcing a product, let alone the whole, you know, the marketing and the sales piece and the logistics and every other team um, that is involved in the process. Yeah, yeah it's definitely really comprehensive and, um, you know, I think to give assurance to people that we do do this work and we do regular reviews with suppliers, um, you know, and sometimes we choose not to go with that supplier for certain issues or we have to work with suppliers to overcome issues. Um, yeah, it's definitely a lot of work that goes on in the background, which maybe, you know, a lot of customers aren't, aren't aware of that sort of thing. Thanks for sharing all that, Jack. Um, it's clear that it's a really comprehensive amount of work that uh, goes on behind the scenes that, you know, potentially a lot of people aren't aware of. And, you know, I know from the work that you do and we do together, looking at sourcing our products, that um, we definitely use this, you know, and we'll exclude certain suppliers that we might want to deal with and have ongoing actions with certain suppliers. So um, it's really important part of what we're doing. Now, I wanted to touch on, Alex, you mentioned earlier on that, um, you know, most people would really start by looking at their high-risk products or categories. Um, before they sort of start working on the lower risk things, because obviously there's there's more more work to be done in those high risk areas. Could you give a bit of a flavour of you know what might be high risk that people should be focusing on first? Absolutely. So there are or there's a whole lot of publicly available databases and set, uh, information sets that talk about products, uh, commodities, uh, services that that are that are risky breaks them down to, you know, low, medium, high risk. Uh, you know, forestry products are obviously an area of concern in certain jurisdictions. And so what I would do is understand what is the, the environmental risks. So things like deforestation, ecological risk, water, for instance, from a purely environmental perspective. But if we're talking about labor standards, then lots of recruitment practices, OHS, uh, so how are labor standards managed? How are people being paid and recruited, obviously? And so engaging with a supplier that has that information or can talk you through the kind of steps that they're taking and has uh, have answers for those kind of questions. So use one of those public data sets. I mean, you can always use uh, inherent risk within SEDEX, uh, mm. but there's plenty of data out there that will tell you where you should be looking. Uh, and then it's engaging those suppliers on those topics and seeing how they respond. Yep. Yeah, I know we definitely have some high-risk things, as you said, with our products around the forestry and certain regions where products are manufactured too. So, um, yeah, we make sure we cover off those ones. Okay, so last, um, I guess, question around ethical sourcing here today is, um, Alex, what's three practical actions that organisations can take to meet their ethical sourcing goals? Okay, so... What I would say is the first thing is, do you have a clear set of policies, procedures, and standards? And have you communicated those internally? So understanding the why you're doing this is a key element. Then the next step I would take is, you've got your supplies, understand from a higher level what the key risk elements are. So break them all up into, again, risk categories, however you define it, but understand what the potential concerns are. So you've got a baseline. Then the next step would be 
to engage. And then it goes back to those earlier conversations around engagement, engagement, trust, collaboration. Because in the end, it's it really comes down to just asking for more detailed information about specific areas or audits, et cetera, but it's still fundamentally the same process. Nice, nice. Anything you wanted to add, Jack? No, I, I think um, I think Alex has covered it again pretty comprehensively. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, because I also I wanted to talk about the, the number of data sets that are available um, from everything, from these kind of practices. So if you're looking at corruption, you know, Transparency International has a great um, corruption perceptions index that's so very useful. Um, with, along with setting your goals, um, measuring the goals is really important. If you if you want to know what your baseline is and your baseline's one percent, that's fine. It's just that's where you're starting from. And if you want to hit to fifty percent in a year, that's what you're aiming for. But you need to know where you are at the start. Um, and I think the last one, just any you know, as as guidance to come other companies, is to think about your risk management. You know what what could go wrong and what steps could you have in place to mitigate it if something did go wrong so you need to to really look really broadly and go okay what would the result of this potentially be or what would the result of not taking that action be because that really um helps you inform the the full scale of the thing it's not just one part it's the overall impact of something and that that's all feeds into ethical sourcing what a great note to end it on. So we've finished talking about all things ethical sourcing and now we're going to just talk about sustainability and bring it down to a personal level. So I think these are my favourite questions of the podcast. So we'll start with you first, Jack. Why are you passionate about sustainability and what do you do to be sustainable at home? Ah, well, so many things. No. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really passionate about sustainability because I see it as a fundamental part of everyday life for everyone on the planet. So I, I think it is very important um, as an asthmatic, I wanna be able to breathe clean air. Um, and I, I, you know, it, it comes down to that kind of basic, you know, healthy environment is healthy people. So it, it, it's all connected. Yeah, we're all part of the ecosystem. Um, on a personal level, what I do to be more sustainable, uh, I've just moved to the country and I don't have a rubbish collection out here. So I am really much more conscious of my waste now. And I am that person walking down supermarket aisles, also uh, looking at the amount of packaging on some things, but also reading the label and going, okay, does this have any um, independent certifications like FSC, like we have on our pork products, for example, or, you know, um, and, and where is it made? And what do I know about maybe a little bit too much information because of my day job, but, you know, what do I know about the labour practices in that country? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think, yeah, embedding sustainability into my everyday life is just who I am now. Awesome. Love it. And I know, Alex, you said you haven't really had a, a long career in this sort of sustainability or ethical sourcing space, but, uh, do you, yeah, what's your personal thoughts on sustainability and what it means to you? So part of the reason I'm in this space is I have seen exploitation in other areas, mm -hmm. uh, certainly in the startup space. And it's it's something that I've always been passionate about trying to, to minimise and was really an eye-opener for me. So the reality is that um, there are a lot of misconceptions around where exploitation occurs and how it occurs uh, and that it's it's certainly not a problem in australia it, it is 
And it's always just a question of scale and prevalence and how it manifests itself. So uh, that's part of the reason I'm in this room today. Now, in terms of what do I do from a personal perspective? Uh, so obviously I do know a bit of information as a result of engaging with uh, various organizations and that does influence how I procure and purchase. So much it does influence my shopping much as it does uh, judgments. Obviously, I also don't drive, so I don't have a car. I don't drive. I take public transport exclusively. Uh, yeah, the occasional Uber, but I don't drive for environmental reasons. The other thing is, I obviously use solar power, so that's one hundred percent solar as well. Uh, minimize the amount of waste I use. Uh, I try to reduce the amount of clothing I purchase. Uh, so again, reduce, reuse, recycle wherever possible. Uh, so that's those are basically the the, the steps that I take. And where I can do more, uh, you know, I, I do like to repair furniture as well. So I'm a big believer in really trying to fix things mm -hmm. as well. And I, interestingly, for somebody who's got a background in you know, talking for a living in many respects, it's nice to be able to use my hands for something. And I think that's <laughs> giving us skills that we otherwise haven't, haven't been able to utilize. So uh, I think there's a, a real personal development aspect to sustainability as well. Yeah. that uh, people don't necessarily pick up on. Well, for someone who hasn't worked in sustainability for that long, I think you, that's really inspiring with the things that, that you're doing there on a personal level. So thank you very much for sharing that. So that concludes our episode today. And I really want to thank both you, Jack, and Alex for, for joining us. Um, I'm sure that everyone's learned a great deal from, from all of this. Um, You've got some good tips on ethical sourcing and how to go about it. And um, if you enjoyed today's episode, we've got one more to go where we'll talk um, about sustainability and employee values and, um, yeah, the great things that sustainability can bring from that point of view. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks Thank you both me. very much for your time and have a great day. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.